It's the world's greatest super friends, Batman and Robin, Superman, Wonder Woman and Aquaman, the Wonder Twins, banded together to protect the universe from the forces of evil, the Super Friends. The Man of Scream. Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. The world's greatest super friends. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 121 of the Man Screen Podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, I'm going to begin my coverage of the world's greatest super friends. That's right, season four of Super Friends is on is underway, and I'm going to start off with the first two seasons of the world's greatest super friends, Rub Three Times for Disaster, and Lex Luthor Strikes Back. And basically, uh, this season is going to be quite different from the previous season, The Challenge of the Super Friends. I'm not sure why Hanna-Barbera decided to kind of give up on the uh, previous uh, format, but they've decided to go with something new in the uh, wake of uh, The Challenge of the Super Friends. By 1979, the Super Friends were going strong on the ABC uh, Saturday morning. And after their great year with Challenge of the Super Friends, they decided to go back to basics and make eight new episodes with the established uh, core group along with Zan, Jaina, and Gleek, basically uh, back to the roster from the all-new Super Friends Hour. And with Season 4, they've decided to go back to an hour-long format. What eventually happened is they played a rerun of one of the all-new Super Friends Hour episodes, along with the new Super Friends episode and the Challenge of the Super Friends episode in Season 3. Basically what happens in Season 4 is they were back into the 8 a.m. time slot. They basically played not only the new episodes, the World's Greatest Super Friends, but they also played a rerun from one of the previous seasons, usually the all-new Super Friends Hour. This was originally broadcast at 8 a.m. on Saturdays, followed at 9 a.m. by a fellow DC Comics superhero Plastic Man, who was starring in his own show at the time, the Plastic Man Comedy Adventure Show which sounds pretty much as you would expect that to uh, sound. This version of the Super Friends relied heavily on folklore, and we're going to see a little bit of that in uh, the episodes I'm covering this week, especially the first one. The series also borrowed from uh, then-contemporary politics as the uh, main villain, Kareem Azar, in in the episode I'm going to talk about this week, rubbed three times for disaster, according to uh, Wikipedia, is almost a carbon copy of the late Iranian religious leader Ayatollah Ruhal Musak Khomeini. And I'm going to mention that the Rub Three Times for Disaster episode basically uh, seems to borrow heavily from Aladdin, especially the concept of the genie and the lamp. But, like I mentioned before, no more Legion of Doom, a smaller roster, and also in an episode I'm covering this week, Lex Luthor will return, so we've got that to look forward to as well. And like I mentioned before, the majority of the season consisted of repeats of the second incarnation, the older Super Friends Hour, which was from 1977. At this time, Super Friends weren't the only animated DC comic shows out there, as they were getting some competition from Filmation in that area, as uh, CBS k- kept playing the uh, into 1979, the 1977 Batman shows. Filmation also produced for NBC The Adventures of Flash Gordon and Tarzan and the Super 7, and apparently the uh, Plastic Man comedy adventure show episode Superstein, which aired in the fall of 79 is directly linked to the world's greatest Super Friends episode, The Super Friends Meet Frankenstein, and Dr. Frankenstein's sidekick, Gork, who was 
inspired by Igor, appears in both episodes with the same voice actor and a similar character design. So, uh, there's that. So, as far as the cast goes, everybody uh, is back for, for this season. William Woodson returns as the narrator. As far as the Super Friends... Superman is voiced by Danny Dark, as usual. Batman by Olin Sewell. Robin by Casey Kasem. Aquaman is voiced again by William Calloway. And Shannon Farnan is Wonder Woman. And as far as the Junior Super Friends are concerned, Jaina is, vo- is voiced by Louise Williams. Zan is voiced by Michael Bell. And Gleek is voiced as well by Michael Bell. There are a few uh, guest stars that showed up in this uh, season, although there is no voice actor provided for uh, Jimmy Olsen. That's going to have to be an unknown at the time. Shannon Farnan pulls a double duty in the uh, Lex Luthor episode. She also plays the role of Lois Lane in the episode Lex Luthor Strikes Back. And Lex Luthor is voiced by Stan Jones. And uh, Mr. Mixie has Pitalik, who will appear eventually, and he'll be voiced by Frank Welker. So that is a brief introduction to the uh, world's greatest super friends. Before I head into uh, this week's coverage, I have some email to address. I have two emails this week. First of which is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode 110. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I am hoping you'll get a lot of listener feedback in this episode. There's so much for fans of the Super Friends to love in this one. Giant creatures and people in the desert, like a 1950s sci-fi monster movie. Giant supervillains and superheroes, escaped Phantom Zone criminals, secret origins of the Super Friends. I would imagine that many people who were kids when these aired originally would have fond memories and much to say. The Beasts Are Coming gives us a fun story without real villains. It's so Batman of the time for him to have a bat moisture absorber to deal with a giant snail. It's a good thing he didn't get it mixed up with the bat shark repellent spray. The Giants of Doom was a good story too, but couldn't Sinestro's ring make the Legion of Doom into giants without relying on Bizarro's enlarging ray? And similarly, couldn't Green Lantern's ring do the same for the Super Friends? In any case, I'd have liked seeing the Super Friends stay in their normal size and still fight the giant Legion of Doom, but that's just me. I try not to be one of those fans who thinks my own preferences should rule the day in all cases. Also, why do the other Legion of Doom members go along with a plan concocted by Bizarro, who seems only marginally more intelligent than Solomon Grundy? I mean, they have Luthor, Brainiac, and Gorilla Grodd, each of whom is clearly a criminal genius, and one of whom is the quote-unquote greatest criminal mind of our time. Terror from the Phantom Zone gives us a favorite of mine, the Phantom Zone Criminals. The names of these criminals are not ones I recall from the comics, so I guess the writers just made up names of their own. It was good to see the Supermobile being useful in this episode. I remember when it was introduced in the comics, and at the time, I thought it was a silly idea clearly meant to sell toys, but there was a bit of logic to a case like this. I also enjoyed seeing Superman's accelerated aging. That was a plot device in a number of Silver and Bronze Age stories, and I always thought those were fun. The Secret Origin of the Super Friends was probably the best story of this batch. Like you, I always enjoy seeing new takes on origin stories. I guess, in that, I'm like a little kid with a favorite story. Tell that one again. I think it's best to gloss over some of the inconsistencies involved in the time travel stories, and I think those were minimal in this one. Anyway, I would be a bit worried if I were the Super Friends, since if Luthor and the other members of the Legion of Doom know too many of the details of his origin story, they also know his secret identity. They clearly know that Hal Jordan is Green Lantern. When the Legion of Doom deflected Kal-El's rocket to another planet, I wondered, briefly, if that was one of the planets mentioned in Action Comics 314, the day Superman became the Flash. In that story, Jarrell checked out various possible planets to send his son to, and produced a computer simulation of what Kal-El's life would have been like on each. On different planets, he might have become the Flash, Batman, Aquaman, Green Arrow, and the Atom, but Jarrell decided that Earth was the best place to send him. I really loved that one. Live long and prosper. Dave. Well, as always, thank you, Dave, for writing in. Uh, I got two emails on this episode. Not a ton of listener feedback, but more than usual. And you're absolutely right. There was a ton to love in the episode that I covered this week. All good stories. I really don't have anything to add to Dave's comments. And uh, when uh, Dave, uh, thinking that the Supermobile was uh, used to sell toys, that was 
probably one of the main reasons for introducing it. It gave the toy stores a toy to sell to kids. And I looked for it the last time I was over at my parents' house, and which by the time this episode drops, I'll be living there again. And my supermobile was nowhere in sight, so I've got to figure out what happened to it. And you know, you don't think about it too much this way, but the supermobile, in a way, kind of got a second life, even though it wasn't really called that, as the... Uh, 90s Superman the Animated Series would once in a while have uh, Superman conduct dangerous missions uh, in uh, the spaceship that brought him to Earth. You know, you know, I almost wonder if that was kind of a modern-day uh, supermobile, at least a modern day at that time. Now, I don't have anything to add on Dave's comment about the secret origin of the Super Friends, and I haven't read the story in Action Comics 314. That's something I'm going to have to uh, remedy someday. So, uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in. I have uh, one more email to talk about in uh, this episode. That's from Jack Bone. Jack uh, writing in on the same episode is basically, his subject is, The beasts are coming, the beasts are already here. And Jack writes, Just a quick note that back in the 1978 episode, The Beasts Are Coming, was a story ripped from the headlines, as they, as they say. In January, a Russian Cosmos satellite, Cosmos 954, with a nuclear power supply to deorbited and landed in Canada. Or more correctly, across Canada. That's the way these sorts of things turn out. Any news of enlarged animals or superheroes was suppressed. I suppose with crash-landing satellites have been a staple of comics. You could call this a case of catching up with science fiction, or almost catching up. We're still short on the enlarged animals and superheroes. We'll split the difference and call it a story ripped from the headlines of science, catching up to science fiction. Thanks for the memories. Jack. Well, thank you, Jack, for uh, writing in. Uh, I didn't know that, and uh, Jack is always good for a couple of uh, cool uh, slices of uh, that time period. So thank you, Jack and Dave, for writing in. I encourage anybody who wants to to write in. Your feedback is always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back with Rub Three Times for Disaster. Hang around, folks. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast, Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it. And now we're going to do it too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. <laughs> it's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock and the Infinity Watch TV show, Make Ours Marvel. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to begin this week's coverage with Rub Three Times for Disaster, the premiere of The World's Greatest Super Friends. Original broadcast date was September 22nd, 1979, and our synopsis is brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. On the far-off planet of Zagdad, a thief steals the magic lamp that holds a genie. 
But when his ship is attacked, the lamp spirals off to Earth where the Wonder Twins find it. The thief arranges sub-missiles to be launched as a diversion for the Super Friends. At the Hall of Justice, only the Wonder Twins are with the lamp. The thief has the genie capture the twins and place them in the lamp's world. Great Hera! Something has all but destroyed the Hall of Justice! And the Wonder Twins! They're gone! Holy Arabian Nights! It must have been the lamp! We're receiving a trouble alert emergency. I can barely tune it in. Super Friends! I am Sultan of the planet Zagdad. My mortal enemy, Karim Asar, has stolen the lamp of Olam. With its magical powers, he will soon destroy us. You are our only hope of survival. Karim must have lost the lamp and come to Earth to find it. And he got us out of the way just long enough to steal it back. Then he must also have the Wonder Twins. And when the thief returns and uses the genie to attack. The thief captures the Sultan into the lamp and then Superman. In the lamp's world, the twins, Sultan and Superman, find the animated trees and an illusion of a lava wall. We've been walking for hours. Yeah, and we're getting nowhere fast. Great Scott, our path is blocked by that incredible lava fall. We may yet have a chance, Superman. When I was a child, I heard strange tales of the inner world of the genie's lamp. If my memory is correct, there is only one way out. We must go through the waterfall of lava. Through the lava, we'll be burned to a crisp. So, if I'm right, it is only an illusion. Yeah, and if you're not right, we're gonna wind up a couple of wonder fries. Outside, using Wonder Woman as a belly dancer distraction, the Super Friends try getting the lamp and are prepared for a torturous death. The Sultan explains how to escape the lamp, and Superman then handles the genie while the twins rescue the others. A thousand thank yous, Super Friends. How can I ever repay you for what you have done for me? Just make sure that magic lamp doesn't fall into the wrong hands again. The next time it's rubbed three times, it could spell disaster. Speaking of disaster, have you seen Gleek? <laughs> Looks like there's a new belly dancer in the Sultan's harem. Alright, so like I mentioned uh, in the uh, previous segment and what I got from the uh, basically the uh, Super Friends wiki uh, information on Season 4, I mentioned the uh, resemblance to uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini of Iran, but I also did mention that this episode is based heavily on the concepts from the story Aladdin, like the genie, the lamp... And basically the whole Arabic aesthetic, those of you who are familiar with the story of uh, Aladdin, the characters are Arabian, to uh, say the least. I don't think they can really be tied down to any one particular country, but they are of an, they are Arabic. So this episode starts with a shooting star, and we travel to a ringed planet. And, uh, like I mentioned, on this uncharted planet in the uh, far reaches of the universe, there is an Arabian city, because of course there is. And the guards uh, are also dressed in Arabic style. They're warriors carrying very large, uh, glowing scimitars. That's how we know they're aliens. Their swords are glowing. This episode is just uh, two years removed from Star Wars, so glowing swords are probably the uh, thing of the time. So, flying carpets as well. Again, very Aladdin. And while the white-bearded villain is supposed to give viewers of that time, at least informed ones, I guess, images of uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini... Uh, Going with the Aladdin aesthetic, that definitely seems like he is the analog to the uh, character of Jafar, who is the villain in the, at least in the Disney's version of Aladdin. That's really the only version of Aladdin that I know. So, um, Kareem Hazar rubs the lamp for the first time, and 
I guess the uh, genie didn't like him too much because basically he drops the lamp and it heads toward Earth's solar system, which apparently uh, the villain can tell that just by seeing it go into the vastness of space. I'm not sure how you could uh, tell that half a universe away that the genie's lamp is going to Earth just because it's kind of headed in that general direction, but that's one of the uh, leaps of logic that this show uh, requires us to take. So on Earth, the Wonder Twins are riding a Pegasus, because of course they are. And that's when the lamp lands on Earth, and we get our first view of Superman, who, at least in the initial animation, seems to look uh, more Kurt Swanish than in previous seasons, although he does revert to his original Super Friends form uh, at some point in the episode. One of the complaints I do have about the animation is that it is very inconsistent, especially if you look at his S symbol. Other times, Sometimes it looks right, other times it looks drastically different, but that kind of is what it is. Aquaman will make the astute view that the lamp is not from Earth, but the Justice League computer can't make hide nor hair of this thing either, which is good, you know. Look! It's some sort of lamp! And by the looks of it, I'd say it's not from anywhere on Earth. The Justice League computer scanner should be able to tell us a little more about it. Electron scanner to full power, Batman! We're getting a computer readout. I don't understand it. The electron beam is being repelled by the lamp. The computer scanners are telling us nothing. Great Scott, my x-ray vision can't penetrate it. Whatever it is, it's not of this universe. One of my complaints about Challenge of the Super Friends and the episodes that accompanied it were, was a heavy reliance on the Justice League computer, which kind of gave the Super Friends the answers they need to move the story forward. It's nice to see that, at least in this initial episode, they're not going to have that crutch. So, uh, Superman scans it with his uh, vision powers, microscopic, x-ray, and any kind of vision power you'd like to uh, attribute to Superman. But because he can't scan it, he knows it's not from this universe. So, okay. And then, uh, so Kareem Azar will find that the lamp fell into the hands of the Super Friends. Even from across the universe, the Super Friends are known as uh, protectors of all that's good and the enemy of evildoers everywhere, just as they should be. And now on Earth, we have a naval warship going haywire, and it fired on uh, presumably everybody. So apparently this is deployed to keep the Super Friends busy as uh, nuclear missiles are being launched all over the place. So everybody goes after the missiles, and Zan is going to figure out what no one else could, the mystery of the lamp. Now that the Super Friends are tied up, I'll have time to figure out what this lamp is all about. Be careful, Zan. There's no telling what strange secrets that lamp possesses. Don't worry, Gina. Old Super Zan knows just what he's doing. That's what I'm afraid of. Hmm, very interesting. Quickly, we must get into the Hall of Justice. Uh-huh, just as I expected. Well, what did you find out? Absolutely nothing. Come on, sis. Better check the Justice League library and see what we can dig up. Robbed the lamp three times is master of my infinite power. Come forth. From my eternal sleep, I am summoned by a foolish monkey. So, yeah, nobody else can figure out what to do with this lamp, but our man Zan here is going to figure it out. Here come the bad guys before Zan makes a big show of coming up with absolutely nothing. And then we've got Gleek here doing something, and he raises the genie, and he brings out some kind of, like I mentioned, devilish-looking genie. You know, for those of you who've seen uh, Aladdin, I guess we're all, uh, those of us who've seen at least Disney's Aladdin, and uh, probably not as familiar with the work that it was originally based on, are more familiar with uh, Robin Williams' uh, comedic version of the genie. You know, that's 
basically the only thing I really remember about the uh, 1992 Disney Aladdin movie is the uh, the genie character, but the Aladdin story was known because I believe there was a reference in uh, Superman Volume 2, number 49. It was uh, in 1990 during the Crisis of the Crimson Kryptonite where uh, Lex Luthor picks up a piece of kryptonite with a with Mixie Spitalik's face on it, and basically he says, rub me like a lamp, Aladdin. So the story definitely does predate the Disney film, although I have never read it, so I have no idea of the demeanor of the genie in the original work. If you are, uh, shoot me an email, manascreen at gmail.com. I'd uh, love to hear what you think. But anyway, this genie is angry, it's devilish looking, and it's pissed that it was summoned by an idiot monkey like Gleek. And I'll be honest, if I was sleeping for a long time, I'd probably be irritated if I was awakened by Gleek as well. I'm irritated when anybody wakes me up, but if it was Gleek, I'd be in an, in an especially bad mood. So, the genie is definitely showing no loyalty to anyone as he goes straight for Kareem Azar, who introduces himself that he is known throughout the galaxy. You know, I kind of wish these shows wouldn't use universe and galaxy interchangeably. They're two different things. The universe is everything. There are many millions of galaxies within the universe, so they are not the same thing. After all this, guess what happens? The Wonder Twins get captured. You know, I'll bet you didn't see that coming, did you? They're stuck in the lamp. Batman uh, very easily disarms a missile, and he sends an arm missile right next to someone's swimming pool, which, uh, you know, is got to be something uh, you don't necessarily want to see in, at your house. You know, you're out there, it's the summertime, you're, you're going for your, you know, your midday swim, or whatever time of day you want to take your swim, and uh, a disarmed ICBM lands right next to uh, your in-ground pool. That it's got to have some kind of a serious effect on the flow of your day. Just saying. So basically, the Super Friends are just kind of throwing the harmless missiles to the ground, spiking them like footballs. Superman's the only one who apparently can catch the missile. But I will say that Wonder Woman and pretty much owned both Batman and Superman by grabbing two missiles. They only grabbed one each. So the Hall of Justice, meanwhile, is trashed and from the attack of the genie, and the Wonder Twins are, of course, gone, and Wonder Woman makes the understatement of the year by saying it was destroyed. I mean, if you looked at this thing, you know, it's in ruins. Yeah, the Hall of Justice was destroyed, but of course, the Trouble Alert still works. And after all, that's kind of the only thing that moves the plot forward. Can't have that destroyed. And uh, after this, Wonder Woman figures that Kareem must have the Wonder Twins as well. Because in this episode, nothing is getting by Wonder Woman. So inside the genie's lamp, uh, Jaina asks where on Earth they are. And of course, they're not really on Earth. I guess uh, the genie's lamp is some kind of other dimension. And uh, at least uh, the kind of place where you ex- would expect to run into a skeleton pirate. And of course, the uh, skeleton pirate is going to make a lot of bone puns. And he's got a bone to pick with the Super Friends, and I've got a bone to pick with some of the writing in this episode. I hate bone puns, especially coming out of the mouth of a skeleton. So Kareem sends a Cyclops after the uh, Sultan's domain, and the genie also throws a pair of red dragons, and the Sultan's men can do nothing. And of course, the Super Friends are the only hope in the known universe. I'm not sure how the known universe survived before the Super Friends. It's a very incompetent universe, I'll say that. So as the Super Friends are flying to the Sultan's planet, I find it amusing that Superman kind of flies by the clouds as the narrator says he's in space. Clouds are a product of atmosphere, folks. There are no clouds in outer space. Unless, of course, you're watching an animated Super Friends episode. Then, apparently, there are clouds in outer space. So now, Superman is going to pull one of the uh, most boneheaded moves of the day when he goes after Kareem on his own, and then he just anything gets captured by the genie and sent into the lamp along with everybody else. So... This is when apparently Gleek saved the twins from the skeleton pirate by swinging into it and knocking it out. And getting it stuck in a tree. So then we get a montage of Superman and the twins kind of walking through every kind of landscape you can think of. Forest, desert, snow, and these trees as they find the Sultan tied up in. You know, they're kind of scary looking. Kind of remind me of the trees in Wizard of Oz. You know, the ones that uh, kind of slap at uh, Dorothy after she uh, plucks an apple from one of them. Which, 
always scared the crap out of me as a kid. Those trees are very unpleasant. And I still find them unpleasant as an adult, even if they're not as scary as I originally thought. So, the remaining super friends have a plan. Batman and Robin are going after the guards, Aquaman the lamp, but somehow the plan depends on Wonder Woman. And the show will show you that very soon by revealing that Wonder Woman is going to belly dance. And I guess that's the uh, distraction for the rest of the team to do their work. Of course, Aquaman is caught, but the super friends appear to capture Kareem. But a quick look at the clock showed me that there are still five more minutes to go in this episode, and they are suddenly captured because, you know, magic lamp and all. Meanwhile, Superman and his friends are being swallowed by trees that they're about to suffocate. And apparently, uh, Gleek is an Exor power conductor. So as the twins transform, despite not being able to reach each other, they turn their powers on by touching Gleek's nose and escape the trees that way. So they find a lava waterfall and they have to go through it. And they have to trust that it's an illusion, which isn't easy. It would be a hard sell for me, but they have no other choice. So while the super friends are about to get eaten by crab, Superman and his friends escape the lamp and the tide has been turned. Superman fights the genie and having more success this time. Then basically Superman inhales the genie and spits him back into the bottle. I wonder how that much uh, space genie tastes. And then Batman and Robin rope the rest of the bad guys as Wonder Woman lassos Kareem, who decides to give us the he who fights and runs, runs away line, and uh, Wonder Woman responds to that with a line of her own. Well done, Superman. But there is an old desert saying, he who fights and runs away lives to fight another day. <laughs> Faster! Well, Kareem, I guess you've never heard the old Justice League saying, he who fights the Super Friends is always captured in the end. Episode ends with Sultan thanking the Super Friends, and what do you know, Gleek is missing. And then we've got the ugliest belly dancer anyone has ever seen. Yes, I am discriminating against monkey belly dancers. Come at I can take your righteous rage at my hatred of monkey belly dancers. So, you know, it's really hard to get back to, into these animated episodes after five weeks of Superman the movie, and then a long hiatus, but this one was okay. You know, turned Aladdin on its head in a somewhat interesting way by making the genie a tool of the villain, but that's pretty much that. Now I'm going to take a, another break, I'm going to play another promo, then I'm going to finish things off with Lex Luthor Strikes Back. Hang around, folks. Are you willing to follow me on a journey and risk getting lost in a swirling maze of past ages, protected only by our red indestructible capes as we break through the final unexplored realm of the time barrier to explore the fantastic Silver Age adventures of the world's greatest hero, Superman? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast as together we'll follow the Man of Steel, his cousin Supergirl, and his closest friends, Perry White, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Batman and Robin, and others in Superman's never-ending quest to defend truth and justice in the pages of Action Comics, Superman, World's Finest Comics, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. Go to the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, available on iTunes and most other podcast aggregators, you can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, Flipboard, and Stitcher. And after you listen, 
Feel free to send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And unless you request otherwise, I look forward to reading your comments on future episodes. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape, standard safety equipment for traveling through the time barrier. Alright, welcome back folks. Gonna finish things off with Lex Luthor Strikes Back. Original broadcast date was September 29th, 1979, and our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. When Lois Lane interviews Luthor in jail, she finds his assistant Orville Gump has replaced her partner Jimmy Olsen. Well, Miss Lane, I'm flattered that the Daily Planet wants to do a story on me, but I'm afraid I'll have trouble describing my brilliance in a thousand words or less. What is it that makes you think you're so great, Luthor? Simply that everyone else is so hopelessly inferior that I can't help but be the most intelligent man on Earth. If you're so intelligent, Luthor, then how come you're locked up in a prison cell? An excellent observation, Miss Lane. For you see, I won't be in this prison cell much longer. I've developed the greatest plan of my career in which I'll destroy the super friends and turn Superman into a helpless weakling. You've tried that before and failed, Luthor. Besides, you'll have to get out of prison first. Oh, that will be easy, Miss Lane. And you are going to help me. Jimmy, do something! Yes, Jimmy. Luthor uses a camera that projects images to disguise himself as her, and Lois as Luthor, so he can escape. After the Wonder Twins leave for a holiday... It's a police alert! Super friends, this is Warden McKay at Metropolis State Prison. I think Lex Luthor's gone mad. He claims he's Lois Lane. It's probably another one of his clever escape tricks. Don't do anything until I get there, Warden. This is a job for Superman. Moments later, back at the Metropolis State Prison. Superman, am I glad to see you. See what I told you, Superman? Even sounds like Lois Lane. But I am Lois Lane. Luther zapped me with some sort of transformation device. My X-ray vision will tell me who you really are. It is Lois. A light scan of my heat vision will dissolve off that phony disguise. Thanks, Superman. But what about Luthor? He's escaped. I know, Miss Lane. And the world isn't safe as long as he's on the loose. Luthor uses his camera to disguise himself again and lures Batman and Robin, trapping them on a runaway train. Then Luthor traps Wonder Woman and Aquaman at a smelting plant. With the help of solar beings who make the sun red, Luthor finally traps Superman. But Luthor finds the beings double-cross him and starts attacking the Earth. To save himself and Earth, Luthor must free the Super Friends just before his traps kill them. And to help stop the solar beings, the still-weakened Superman uses the Supermobile. Hi, Super Friends! We had a real nice time on Planet Exor. Anything exciting happened while we were gone? Nothing special, Zan. Just a nice, sunny weekend. Right! It's kind of fun that uh, in an episode where uh, the feedback featured the Supermobile so heavily that we get another episode starring the Supermobile. All right, it's always nice to see uh, Lex Luthor back and harassing Superman and his uh, friends. And we start at the uh, Metropolis State Prison, perfect place for Lex Luthor. And I guess he was arrested at some point after the uh, events of the Challenge of the Super Friends season. We never really saw the uh, 
Legion get defeated. They just kind of got away, but I guess they were eventually uh, rounded up, and Lex Luthor is going to strike back for whatever he feels uh, Superman has done to him. So here are Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen, both looking very on-model from their comics versions. And uh, here is kind of Lois Lane as she should be. She's interviewing Lex Luthor, and uh, she's not cutting him any slack, and he is uh, not disappointing in his arrogance. He is uh, lording his intelligence over everyone, and I like Lois's uh, comeback. Um, she asked him, if he's so brilliant, how come he's in jail? Which is a very loaded question. Here is part of Luthor's plan, as uh, Jimmy is not really Jimmy. It's uh, his assistant, Orville Gump, who is looking very Otis-like. He's round and pudgy like Ned Beatty was, and he's wearing his tie outside of his vest, just like Otis did in Superman the movie. When I was on with Andy Leyland, we uh, discussed how basically Otis can't even dress himself. Orville is pretty much the same here. He can't dress himself either. And I can't help but believe that this henchman, Orville, whose name also starts with O... Like Otis, I can't help but believe that he is a nod to Otis. And honestly, I was waiting for Luthor to call him Otis, but went with Orville instead. So, Luthor uses his uh, device, which kind of projects a disguise onto uh, the wearer. So, that's how Luthor gets out of jail. He kind of leaves Lois as Luthor, and he kind of escapes looking like Lois. So, at this early juncture, I'm really waiting for Orville to call Lex uh, Mr. Luthor. Mr. Luthor! Luthor, I'm sorry, you know, kind of the way uh, Ned Beatty did, but uh, so far, just boss. You know, all of the henchmen call uh, their leader boss. So apparently the uh, Wonder Twins are going to visit Exor, and they're asking Superman if he's going to be okay without them. Listen, kids, I think Superman is going to be just fine without you on Earth messing things up. I don't know how, but Superman and company will find a way to struggle on without that. So, the twins have beamed home. Wonder Woman is predicting a relaxing weekend to themselves with the twins gone. Spoken like a true parent, yet none of these people actually are parents, but I guess they are um, overqualified babysitters, to say the least. So here comes the uh, expositional phone call from the warden, telling him that Luthor has gone mad. And then when Superman shows up, here is a Lois Lane's voice coming out of Lex's mouth, which is uh, kind of unnerving, as the warden does point out that it sounds like Lois Lane. But apparently, uh, Superman's X-ray vision can see through the disguise and uh, reveals Luthor to be Lois Lane, basically. And then Superman burns off the uh, disguise with his heat vision, being extremely careful not to uh, burn Lois in the process. When I had originally uh, watched this episode, you know, as I was taking my notes and going through it, I had initially believed that uh, the uh, camera did a body switch, which is why I was confused when Lois's voice was coming out of Luthor's mouth. But it makes a little more sense now that uh, to know that Somehow, this camera projects a disguise. So here is Luthor in an underground lair, just like his Superman the movie counterpart. And now, to even look more like Otis, Orville is wearing a similar hat to what we saw Ned Beatty wearing. Especially in the uh, scene where Otis is walking the street and gets uh, trailed by uh, the cop who meets a rather untimely death at the hand of a train. And these guys do have a very similar dynamic to uh, Gene Hackman and Ned Beatty. Basically, uh, Orville is being uh, clueless and uh, Luthor is... Uh, quite flustered with him. So, Luthor's got this camera that projects disguises, and he disguises himself as uh, Superman. And, you know, just the use of this camera to uh, project disguises, it really makes me think of that deleted scene from... And it's reinserted into the extended cut of Superman the movie where... And I made a comment about this on Facebook where Otis uh, accidentally takes a Polaroid of himself where I kind of reminded people to remember that when they're... This, this is supposed to uh, show what an idiot he is and to uh, remind people of that when they take their next selfie... But seeing Orville with the camera really reminds me of that scene with Otis kind of futzing around with the Polaroid. So Luthor uses his camera. Like I said, Luthor uses his camera to disguise himself as Superman. He uh, calls for help from Batman and Robin, and they're caught on a magnet because apparently there's some metal in the utility belts. 
So that's how he traps one group of super friends. They're dropped in a tanker, and Batman says, that's not the worst of it. I can only imagine how this situation is going to get worse for them. Now Superman shows up at the Hall of Justice, and they ask where Batman and Robin are, and well, what do you know? Superman reveals that he hasn't seen them. Wonder Woman and Aquaman are going to go to the train yard, and you know, what's a Superman to do in this situation? Apparently nothing, and presumably wait for Wonder Woman and Aquaman to get caught, which they do, as uh, Luthor and Orville are setting their next trap. And in this scene, Orville finally says, kind of, Mr. Luthor. Very, uh, Ned Beatty-ish. So, Wonder Woman and Aquaman are scooped up in a molten steel container, and, uh, they're stuck in a mold, so things don't look too good for them. And the only one left at home is Superman, who uh, must be at the Hall of Justice polishing his boots or something. And, uh, this is when we learn that Luthor has teamed up with the Hellion of the Sun, who's gonna take care of Superman because apparently Luthor can't do it himself. At first, uh, didn't realizing that the Sun powers Superman, I wasn't sure how the Hellions of the Sun were going to harm him, but... We're going to find out that they will. Batman and Robin are headed somewhere on a runaway train, and Wonder Woman and Aquaman are about to get melted. Superman, meanwhile, is at the Hall of Justice playing with the computer. Maybe he's going to bring up some words, words with friends or something. I don't know. They're trying to find the super friend, and he's getting frustrated. And it's really weird to see Superman actually punching the keyboard in frustration. And that's when Luthor shows up, accosting Superman about his temper. Temper, temper, Superman. And Luthor throws down a challenge to the death. And they're going to meet at Mount Everest in an hour. I can't find the other super friends. They must be somewhere. Temper, temper, Superman. Luthor, what have you done with them? We'll soon find out whether you're really a Superman or just a super ego. I hereby challenge you to a face-to-face battle to the end. I'll be waiting for you in one hour on the top of Mount Everest, Superman. I'll be there, Luthor. That super fool is walking right into my trap. But... How are you gonna stop Superman, Luthor? You ain't been able to do it before. This time, I have an infallible plan. Those sun creatures agreed that if I got rid of the other super friends, they'd turn the sun red. Say, that's brilliant, boss. Then while Superman's painting it yellow again, we can take over. No, you imbecile. It's the Earth's yellow sun that gives Superman his incredible powers. If the sun turned red, Superman will be transformed into a helpless weakling. Like you. <laughs> Meanwhile... Back in the uh, Silver Age, and even now in most iterations of Superman, a red sun will take away Superman's powers. In the Silver Age and Bronze Age, basically any kind of pre-crisis story, as soon as Superman had entered the uh, influence of a red sun, his powers vanished. It worked a little bit differently in the post-crisis, where if Superman were... Under the influence of a red sun, he would still have his powers, but they would dwindle to nothing eventually, because the uh, sun is not recharging them. But this was made in 1979, so it's definitely based on pre-crisis Superman. Earth-1 Superman, as it is in the comics. So here come the sun creatures. They're either going to change the sun or do something to the atmosphere so that only red sunlight gets through. Either way, it's going to harm Superman. I can't get enough of the banter between Luthor and Superman, Danny Dark, and... Uh, this actor who plays Luthor, Stan Jones, uh, just do a great job going at it. I much prefer Superman, you know, Superman versus Luthor one-on-one. That's really how it should be. And this episode is delivering that. And Superman is uh, flying Luthor up to the air as the uh, sun creatures attack, and Luthor is enjoying Superman's predicament. And I love how the main Super Friends theme pumps up when Superman blows out the fire and performs his super feats. Basically, what the Hellions of the Sun do is they uh, set a small village on fire. So the sun goes red and down goes Superman, and he's caught and dropped in an oil well. And Luthor was planning to use the diamond drill to kind of drill Superman to bits. Kind of nasty. And then, you know, I got so 
engrossed in watching the Luthor and Superman stuff that I kind of forgot about the other Super Friends. And I just realized it's taken them an awful long time to die. But the uh, Super Friends are out of commission and the Sun Creatures attack the Earth and I guess this wasn't part of the plan, so I think I know where this is going. This is similar to one of the uh, challenge episodes, as I recall. It was the one with the, I think it was Who Walked the Zombie one, where uh, the Legion realizes they can't, uh, they've been double-crossed and they save the uh, Super Friends so that they can save them and the Earth. Kind of the same thing here. Luthor's plan goes straight to hell as the Super Friends are going to have to be rescued so, so that they can fight the Sun Creatures. And Luthor blows the hatch on the tanker and then he saves Aquaman and Wonder Woman. Batman stops a train wreck by hitting a switch with his batarang. You know, he stands on top of the uh, tanker car and throws his batarang at the switch and that's a... He throws it hard enough to uh, change it so that it uh, goes on a stretch of tracks actually going somewhere instead of over a bridge. Always so easy. Luthor turns off the energy field so Aquaman and Wonder Woman can get away. And Lex even stopped the drill. I almost figured his massive ego would have made him kill Superman, but it does not. Then now, we're back at the Hall of Justice and here is Luthor calling for help because he needs it. It's always interesting seeing Luthor call the super friends to get bail him out of trouble. And, of course, because they're heroes, that's what they do. Even if Lex is a villain, they're going to save him. Because saving him also means saving the Earth. Super friends, those sun creatures double-crossed me. I'm trapped. I released you because you're the only ones who can save the Earth. And me. We've got to act fast. I'll stop the sun creatures. But, Superman, with the sun still red, you have no powers. Don't worry, Aquaman. With the Supermobile, I'll have all the power I need. With very little time to save the Earth, the Super Friends streak into action. Lex Luthor, for all of his greatest criminal mind of our time shtick, for all of his genius and evil... And yeah, he wants to rule the world, but I don't think he wants to rule a dead world. So even Luthor realizes that, yeah, you know what, in order to take over the world at some point, there has to be a world for me to take over. So in in order to ensure the survival of the world, Luthor is not above to sending the Super Friends after the problem. Because one, he knows they'll they'll go after the problem, and two, if some of their members are hurt or killed in the effort, all the better for him. Especially if one of those hurt or killed is Superman. So, despite the red sun, Superman is going to use the Supermobile to save the day. And the action here is pretty good. I'm enjoying it. Batman and Robin put out the forest fire. They literally make it rain, and that drives out the sun creatures. Meanwhile, Metropolis is burning, and Aquaman and Wonder Woman are taking care of this. No Superman to aid them, so... With the Super Friends out, the sun creatures are trying to regroup, but Superman goes after them with the Supermobile. And, of course, the uh, machine has an answer to everything, as the uh, red sun has no effect on the Supermobile. And Superman uses nuclear rods to chase the creatures away and to send them back into the sun. It's unclear, though, if that turned the sun yellow again, but I assume it does, because at the end of the episode, Superman is okay. Not a very funny ending here. It's just the twins returning and the adults telling them nothing interesting happened. The endings aren't really funny anyway, but they don't really try to play too much for comedy in this end. And you know what? When the Wonder Twins return to Earth is when I realized that nothing stupid had happened in this episode. You know, I didn't miss the Wonder Twins one bit, which made the episode better. Their absence made this episode better, and it's almost sad that I'm going to have to put up with more episodes with them, but I really love that this episode was very Superman-centric. I love the focus on Lex Luthor. The Supermobile always feels like kind of a cheat, but do got to get those toys sold, so yeah, you know, we're not going to see many DC villains during this season, but I always love seeing Lex Luthor. So, next time, I'm going to cover the next two World's Greatest Super Friends episodes, Space Knight of Camelon and The Lord of Middle-Earth. And believe it or not, that's kind of, that'll, completion of the of next week's episode will put me halfway through World's Greatest Super Friends, as there are only eight episodes to cover. So, like I said, expect shorter episodes going forward. So, that being said, 
If you want to send some feedback in, feedback is always welcome. Email address, manascreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation over the Facebook group. Just put Mana Screen Podcast in the search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Mana Screencast. Till next time, folks. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. The Mana Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.